This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. As usual, I want to thank all the guys that support me on Patreon. Really appreciate that on keeping the show going and supporting the show. So I want to thank you for that. And some people, I just looked yesterday and I can't believe I've been on Patreon probably for a about a year and a half two years now and you know some of you guys have been supporting me for that long i think actually it's just gone on to two years so thank you for that and you know being with me and you know sharing in the show and being part of the show and supporting the show i really appreciate it if you want to help out patreon.com forward slash ahp and uh that'd be really really helpful if you could support me and thanks to all the people that left comments on itunes really appreciate that as well if you could jump on and leave an itunes comment that'd be really appreciated Um, from me and uh, leave it five stars of course that would be nice (laughs) if you could that'd be absolutely fantastic you can go on the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com a lot of people have been emailing me recently saying what services am i on Uh, i normally put it down under each post when i post on social media like instagram facebook and twitter but of course itunes is a great way to download it Um, i think it's one's called google podcast we're on the podbean app we're on stitcher and also i do upload it to youtube as well of course youtube is only a side one it's not really where i get the main downloads but that just helps people if you can't get access to any of the other mediums or in your car and it's easy just to jump on facebook to listen to the show while you're driving hopefully your next hunting trip i've got a hunting trip coming up next week so you're hearing this i'm recording this show around mid mid august of 2020 and I'm going on a hunt, uh, I think, next week. It's about the 19th to the 24th. Going to be busting some rabbits again on the rabbit hunting property. I'm already looking at the weather, and it's not looking too good. Pretty much August has been shit for rain, which is fantastic for, obviously, farmers and getting our dams full, but not really good for, you know, lying on the side of the hill in the rain trying to bust some rabbits. So I'll be probably uploading to my AHP Outdoors YouTube channel. I'm going to make another series again like I did before, Hunting Rabbits. So if you haven't checked it out on the AHP Outdoors YouTube channel... And uh, it's one of the most recent ones I did. I think I've got a couple there, but it's called Rabbit Mayhem Part 1 and Part 2. So check it out. Um, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. So I'm going to continue that part of the series and release another maybe two or three-part series if it's not raining too much or the weather's absolutely crap. I'm still going to have to go because I've booked in my leave from work. Um, So it should be a good uh, weekend away with a couple of mates, you know, busting some rabbits, doing a bit of hunting, you know, verifying some rifles. Got a couple of rifles to do some load testing for, so it's going to be fantastic. Uh, This show I'm talking about today, I've got Ben Chambers coming on the show. He's a bow hunter from Western Australia. I don't think I've really – have I interviewed a hunter from Western Australia? I think I have. I've done one before. So yeah, I've done one. So we're going to talk about bow hunting. We're going to talk about hunting not only in Western Australia, but also overseas. We're going to talk about where he wants to hunt overseas in the future to go bow hunting. And it's going to be an absolutely fantastic show. So I think without further ado, let's get into it. Here's my interview with Western Australian bow hunter, Ben Chambers. Ben Chambers, welcome to AHP. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Have a chat about, I guess, living in Western Australia and about a bit of bow hunting. So thanks for joining me on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chase. No worries. Mate, tell us a bit of background about yourself. I mean, where you grew up, um, how you got into hunting, and we'll go. We'll start there. 
Right, I um, I grew up in northwest Queensland in Mount Isa. Um, born and bred there, and got into bow hunting from my neighbours. They were ever since I can remember. I had a couple of neighbours that were into bow hunting, and so as a young fellow, I just was fascinated by it. Um, and then when I was thirteen, I got my first little recurve. And they took us. They took me under their wing and sort of went from there. I got my first kill when I was fourteen, a little goat, yeah. and never looked back. Yeah, I know. It's uh, tell me. An interesting part is how did you end up from Mount Isa in Queensland to over in WA? I'd know a guy that I know used to live near me. Moved over to WA as well. And how did you end up over there? Um, I come over here for a trade. So I was six, 16 when I moved over here. And come over to do a mechanical trade and um uh yeah done the trade had some kids got married and started the business so now yeah, it's just wa for me it's a lifer <laughs> i know i've got a lot of guys over there that um you know so they're into the either bows or firearms and it's pretty pretty draconian over there with the, some of the laws but uh you know certainly yeah. a nice place i haven't been over there myself i'd like to get over that way and and see what you know Western Australia, you know, has to offer a New South Welshman from the other side of the country, but they'll probably end up kicking me out, no doubt. It's a good, it is a nice place. Like I come, I travel a lot and it's a, it's a nice place to come back to. So the beauty about it is it's a beautiful place to live, but for hunting, it's not really, it's not really the ultimate is there is a bit to do, but it's not like the Eastern States, which I, you know, I spend a lot of time over there hunting and you're a bit spoilt for for choice, but you can still make – there's still situations you can make a – you've got, you got opportunities over here. you just got to work hard for them. Yeah, I know. I'm not – sometimes I'm not the guy that wants to, you know, work too hard sometimes, but, uh, you know, I've had some good success too. But uh, f- family growing up, were they into hunting? I mean, who was it that, you know, person that got you into hunting? You said neighbour. Was your mum and dad into it or they – into firearms or were they into bow hunting or were they any type of hunting or was it just your neighbour? Um, no, just my neighbour. My, my granddad, so I live with my grandparents quite a bit. My grandparent and my granddad had rifles um, and he had an old busted up bow in the bottom of his, of his cupboard and every time I, I remember as a kid, every time I opened the cupboard up, I'd see this busted ass bow and it was really, you know, intriguing. So no one else in the in the family was into hunting but uh, like I can't explain, you know, like it's just a draw I had. Like I, I, I loved fishing. I, had, I was fascinated with fishing and anything outdoors. I was just drawn to it and um, talking to my neighbours because my neighbour had a son about a year younger than me, and so talking through him, talking to him about hunting through the fence and stuff like that. It just, I just had a. It was just a, a draw that I had to it that I can't explain. Man. So it's not as if I was born into it or anything like that. I just, my neighbours done it and I was just absolutely fascinated with the bow. 
It's funny, isn't it? Because when, you know, I was growing up and uh, I got into sort of fire, I was, I haven't done any bow hunting, but my mum was like, you know, oh, what do you want to do? What's this about, you know? And, oh, we're not oh. having guns in the house and we're not doing this. And uh, I just went and did it anyway and they had to deal with it. But uh, what did you do when, you know, you're sort of 14 and the neighbours getting you into bow hunting? Were mum and dad like, oh, what's this business about? Or um, No, they weren't. So I, did, I, I didn't have anything to do with my old man growing up. Um, so uh, it's just mum. Um, so it was all she was all good with it. It was like a father, like as a, a male bonding moment, I suppose. Like it was, I didn't have, because I didn't have the old man around to to take me and do those sorts of things. It was, um, it was like a I, I can't explain, it, like a, a relief to go and do that sort of stuff with yeah with my neighbours. So um, in regards to rifles. Um, yeah, I didn't have anything to do with them as a kid, but when I got into, I remember when I got into my first job, I was already bow hunting, and my boss at the time was trying to get me to go over and be a rifle shooter, and I went out a couple <laughs> of times with him and shot some pigs, but I just, I, I, I couldn't. Living in Northwest Queensland, there's pigs everywhere, and you, could, you know, go out with a bow and hadn't shot one yet. I'd had a couple of shots at them and had a few opportunities, but I shot heaps of pigs with the gun and it just wasn't it just there was something about it it just didn't interest me even from that young age of 14 yeah i always talk to a lot of the the bow hunters and i've just done some recently because i did some early on in the podcast too and you know i was having you know difficult difficult time especially probably up till about three years ago even just getting deer trying to shoot them people say well what are you doing and i said well you know that's a great question i don't know what i'm doing i'm trying i'm i'm seeing them but then i'm spooking them or i'm you know walking back to camp after say a good morning's hunt and then all of a sudden instead of taking it easy on the way back i might want to get back for a bite to eat with mates to hang around the camp for an hour or two before heading out again in the afternoon and all of a sudden i hear a noise and i look left and see the arse end of a couple of three or four fellow running off or i've yeah, you know, come down through a, a a dry creek up the other side. Look over my shoulder, and there's basically you know deer staring at me. So, like I always say to these bow hunters, I can imagine it's fairly exhilarating when you're able to stalk in on, you know, especially things like deer. Man, sometimes I've been three or four hundred meters away, quiet, not making a single noise, and all of a sudden their heads go, whoop! They turn around and <laughs> they're just staring at me, and I'm like, the wind's not, the wind's great. What? What am I doing wrong here? So kudos to people that get out there and hunt and can get into those close proximities within, say, 10, 20, 30 metres of, you know, especially things like deer who have, you know, senses like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely something special. Like, um, and, and you can even, you can even um, build on that as well and go from compound to recurve or compound to longbow or compound, you know, like you can still shoot something at 60 metres with a compound pretty efficiently, um, then you go and get a recurve and it's all sort of under under 20 metres and that's another that's another level again, which is, it's like, I suppose, like fishing. You're going from um, spin fishing to fly fishing. Do you know what I mean? Like those guys yeah. go out there and, and get something, they target a specific species of the fly gear because they've gone and done it with their spin and bait or whatever. It, it's another another level again so but it is cool the adrenaline the adrenaline is phenomenal and what the achievement as well like the achievement when you can actually go out there with a stick and string and and 
harvest the animal, you've outsmarted the animal. You know, it takes years and years of of knowledge to to see to get the um, you know to work out their their next step. So you're trying to you're trying to be a step in front of them. So whereas at at three hundred meters, it just doesn't like I know what you're saying. Like you can, I've been in that situation before where you're hundreds of meters away and you're like, how how did it know I was here? And then the next day you're ten meters away and you're like, this is amazing. This is just crazy. Yeah, exactly. No, I know what you mean. I've, I tend to. What about when you're obviously being in WA? Do you tend to make friends in the in the hunting industry? Because I've noticed, especially my later part in life, I'm 39. I've sort of started to gravitate towards meeting people in the sort of hunting industry, where I've still got you know quite a number of, but probably two really good friends that I went to school with, and it's great to keep up those relationships. And those guys are some of the best friends you know I've still got to this day. But you know, I've sort of seen myself gravitating now, especially new people that I do meet coming into the the fray of friendship, so to speak, being in the in the hunting industry. So, what was it like when you you were getting into the you know bow hunting and you had mates that maybe weren't into bow hunting? They're like, well, what's this about? Or like, have you still got those friends that aren't in the in the hunting sort of fraternity, so to speak? No, no I just all. No, <laughs> I probably no, should I too. Got- no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. <laughs> Bit weird. No, I've still got a couple of friends from school. Same thing. But uh, all my new friends, you know, all my friends as as I got older in life were pretty much hunting because that's just been a massive part of my life so and they're you know the bow hunters they're just the same obviously birds of a feather flock together so um you just they're just a good bunch of guys i've found you you get a couple of turkeys here and now every now and again but as a as an overall the bow hunters or hunters in general are just such a cool bunch of dudes dudettes yeah, 100%. Mate, we're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers offers flexible, zero-interest payment options, including afterpay and zip pay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. Ben, mate, I want to talk about, I mean, what about when, let's talk about this, if you don't mind, it's a bit of a curveball, I guess, you know, when I, you know, I tend to, I'm still on the, on the single dating scene sort of thing, and trying to tell someone you're a hunter, especially in Sydney, sometimes doesn't go down that well, surprisingly, but what about when you met your, you know, wife, girlfriend, fiance, and you said, well, I'm into this bow hunting business? I, um, I, I'm on my second, I'm on my second marriage now. Um, so my first, my first marriage was, um, when I was young and I don't think it really, when you're young and when you're young and dumb, it doesn't really, they're not really that big of a deal. 18 years old and you're just yeah, hunting and there's no really big, or back then anyway, it wasn't such, such a big deal. But, um, with, we, we divorced because of hunting. So really, much, wow! Yeah, you, yeah. If you don't mind, could you would you be willing to share that story? Oh, Sorry, this is not something I uh, planned on, but I love the. <laughs> I shouldn't say I love these sort of stories because it's bad. You probably got divorced. Maybe you don't think oh, so oh, now. It is what it is. Know. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, two thousand. Probably it was two thousand and four, 
our son, our son at the time was only like two years old. And I ever since I ever since I joined the archery club over here, there was a um there was plaques and and stuff all over the wall with um Bowhunter of the Year and it had a couple of old books on there like year after year, alternating years, like every next couple couple of years in a row it might be the same guy. And I just remember looking at it going, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the Bowhunter of the Year. I'm going to yeah. beat those two old boys. And it was just a little thing I had in my mind. And so in 2004, I put a massive year into hunting and I beat them. <laughs> <laughs> and so 2002, I put a lot of stress on the, uh, on the relationship because I had a young son at the time. And, and 2005, we were separated and and I remember the um, the awards night at the archery at the archery club. They gave us all the awards, and I had a, a um, arm full of awards. And they're like, "Oh, what's you know, have you got anything to say?" And I look, I remember looking down the awards and going, "Well, I suppose this is a pretty good exchange for a marriage <laughs> with all oh, these wow. <laughs> with all these things in my um, in my hand." So, so yeah, that was the first experience with my hunting addiction and. Um, and and married or women and then um i was i sort of had some girlfriends in between on and off until 2010 when i met my current wife now jane and yeah she was she's the city girl but it was pretty she didn't really mind to be honest it was quite funny because she wanted to be a vet and she was all for like she was all um you know, like she loves animals, or she was. She's a massive, massive animal lover, and so um, it was quite intriguing from other family members to when I would when I would talk to other family members and, and say that you're a hunter, they'd say, "Well, how's that? How does Jane go with that?" And I'm like, "She doesn't, because she knows me for me and and how much I love animals as as well." Um, there was no there was no dramas there. It was just. Um, yeah, see, it's quite interesting, you know, because you have, as hunters, you have such, you've got a, you're, it feels like you've got an uphill battle all the time trying to justify yourself with, a, you know, just an everyday person. So then add to the element that you, you, you've got to try and justify it to your potential new wife or girlfriend or something like that. It would <laughs> yeah. be hard, but, but it was easy for me. So it was easy because Jane didn't judge or whatever she, and she, she knew um, how much of a passion I had for hunting, and I and I think she knew from the start that it was a lot more ethical than what she realised. Um, so yeah, it was it was more so I, the the trouble that I had was more with um, with Jane's family, to be honest. Yeah. So they were very, you know, they were very anti, or some of them were very anti hunting, and Alma Fudd they'd call me and. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine what it was like when you were talking to, you know, probably on the first date, maybe the first introduction to the to the family after a couple of months or however long, or and then you know they find out, oh, he goes hunting. Oh, this is interesting. You know, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're, they're massive big fishermen, so her family's all they're they're really keen fishermen. So I would just put it straight back to that. And so if they say anything, if they said anything about it, which there was a few conversations, I'd say there's no different to fishing. It's just because. The fish are underwater, like, and it's a, um, you know, it's society. Society makes it okay to have fishing as a pastime, but society doesn't make it okay that 
hunting is a pastime for some weird reason, but uh, over the years, they've actually, um, they've all, none, none of them have any problem with it now because you can explain it to them. Like, it's ignorance is the um, problem, really, isn't it? If they don't know, they can just assume. So over yeah. the years, they know that, um, you know, it's ethical. We we love what we do. We do it for a reason, and there's, and there's justification behind it. You, you know, when they when they sit down and actually have a conversation with you, and you can explain the the you know, the details behind it, um, they love it. And now they, you know, all the free sausages they get, the free roast they get, they yeah. they, they don't complain. That's for sure. <laughs> no, I've I've always found it's sort of especially over the years that sort of started to click that I find people generally don't have a problem with say, you know, the smaller feral animals, but as soon as you start getting into bigger animals, I found the size of the animal generally dictates what their what the reaction will be. And what I mean is if you, you know, a fox or a small rabbit, people don't generally care. You step up into a deer, they start getting a bit, you know, funny about it, especially deer because like, you know, Santa and Christmas time and so forth. And then when yeah. you step up into, you know, African game, you know, giraffes, elephants, lions, those sort of things, not saying that's for everybody, but at the end of the day, they, you know, the, the size of the animal dictates their reaction. You know, some people are hot and okay with, you know, killing foxes and, 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 and feral pigs, and even if they're not feral, just, you know, uh, duck hunting, for an example, which I love, you know, and then you step yeah. up to other animals in Africa and people say, oh, but this is hideous. How could you possibly shoot that? And I said, well, taking a life's a life, isn't it? Why does the size of the animal have to dictate the, the response or the reaction? Exactly, and also the fact that they don't know it's managed, it's herd management. So when you start to explain to people how herd management works and also, also the fact that... You know, those African ranches supply um, all those villages with their income. So, you know, when, when we went to Africa in 2011 and Jane and I spent um, just ourselves and there was 10 of us in our group, Jane and I spent um, $7,000 US at the, you know, in between the ranch, the taxidermists, the butchers, the... Um, the local kindergarten that we or orphanage that they um, sponsored and all that sort of stuff. So that's seven thousand dollars for Jane and I, US, and then however much for the other guys, and that was just one week. And then you got another ten the next week, another ten the next week. So when you look at that, and and there was I think there was fourteen. I think in our our ranch that we were at, um, there was fourteen families that lived on local families that lived on that ranch that we supported. So the, the, the blokes were the PHs or the butchers or the trackers and the women were the cooks or the cleans or, you know, whatever. So they the whole family of those 14 people lived and worked on that ranch that we're at. So we supported them plus all the local communities that, it's supported when they where they spend their money and so on and so on. So without the hunting, people just don't, you know, they just don't look at the bigger picture when they're talking. But it's not, you know, when you, you can sit down and have a yarn to them and explain that sort of stuff that they start to listen and go, oh, okay, I didn't realise that. Yeah. And not to mention the, um, like where we were, we were on the uh, edge of a of a game park and the, the whole edge of that game park was – was um oh sorry national park the whole edge of that national park was game ranches so it stops the poaching 
because the the locals didn't want they wouldn't go through those ranches where you know to get to the national park to poach on them because they're all local people that work there so it stops that as well so that's just su- it's such a massive massive ignorance i suppose when they when they um when people get upset about it but i've had you know i enjoy actually explaining to people that about that sort of stuff because ignorance is the thing you know like you can educate them and they walk away going but that's actually pretty cool as a hunter that's that's a win really isn't it yeah the, the part that probably upsets me the most is i see yeah, you expect it, I guess, from the the anti hunters, greenie types, etc. But you know, you, you're really sort of seeing it start to a little bit the culture of the not only shooting community, but probably even the bow some parts of the bow hunting community. You probably might agree that you know you're probably hearing about it from the bow hunters going, "Oh, why would you go and do that for?" It's like I'd never do that, and I was like, "Well, hang on, man, what what are we not understanding?" It's sad to see our own people sort of being a little bit against it in some respects too, like most people aren't, but you do have a few there saying, I'd never do that. I'd never go to Africa and shoot this type of game or, or yeah, I'd shoot their spring box or their whatever, but and oh, I couldn't shoot a zebra. Like, that's just horrible. Like, how could you do that? It's like, well, hang on a minute. Why are we putting a, a different, I guess, mental price to say against a different certain type of animal? Like, it just makes no sense to me. Oh, 100%. And, and I had this, I've had these exact conversations within the last two weeks two different times. So, um, one of the, one of our workers asked me because I don't know if you remember recently. There's that WA. Um, I think there was one of the politicians. He's he was a um, conservationist. Yeah, that's got, right. He got in trouble. Yeah, or they, they he got in trouble because yeah. he was a hunter and went over to Africa hunting uh, hunting animals. So so someone said to me like, "Oh, would you? You know, like they brought that up and said, would you go and shoot an elephant?'" And I knew, I was like, what's, what, do, what do you want What do you want the right answer to be right now? What is it you want me to say? Because if you're just looking for a, a, an argument or like a, um, if you if this conversation is just to, to try and look for an argument, no matter what I say is going to be wrong. So I personally wouldn't is my answer, but I wouldn't, I also wouldn't judge that person by doing it because I've been over there in 100, 100 planes games. So what's the difference between a a, um, a kudu and an elephant or a kudu and a lion and a, or a kudu and a hippo? Like there's nothing. They're, they're both the same, the same animals. So uh, I think that's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard, such a hard slog. And then when you sit there and, say, and you explain that, that that hippo or elephant or, or whatever might have cost him $40,000 and that's gone to conservation over there, Exactly. Um, yeah, oh, how much money have you spent on conservation? So it's such a, um, you know, Jane and I have been, we've been targeted through the business. We've, we've had people post up photos of us on, on websites and um, our local social media pages trying to get us to or get, get our businesses boycotted because we're over in Africa shooting um, warthogs. Pretty interesting, though, isn't it? Really, it's um, just how people, you know, don't really understand conservation. I mean, even those people themselves, the one that support certain types of animals and stuff like that, even will, even will be the same too. Like, oh yeah, you know, kill the mouse in my house or the cockroaches, but oh, this other animal, nah, that's that's not acceptable. 
<laughs> yeah, it just blows it's my just mind. A- it's like even you, um, even these people do the exact same thing, you know. And but that's okay. But oh, but that's just a, a well, hang on. That poor little bugger might have the brain, yeah. the brain the size of whatever a piece of a uh, piece of sand. But at the end of the day, that thing still lives. Probably had a little family. If you want to look at it like that, well, I don't look at it like that. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, but you've, how you've can even, justify it. But you've even got you've even got the other side of the things as well, like. And what happens these days is the justification about why you're why you're hunting them. So, you know, I'm a trophy hunter. I love trophy hunting, and so, but I'm also a I also love meat hunting, and I hunt for there's multiple reasons. And and when you see other hunters trying to justify it by just meat hunting, it's so hard because it's a double edged sword. You look at it and go, okay, well, the anti hunters if you can appease the if you can just uh, i suppose calm i don't know i don't know what the answer would be but if you can sort of um calm the the psycho you know like animal lovers that are that anti-hunters if you can sort of justify it by going okay we'll eat all the meat um but then on the other side of it it's are you doing you know are we doing hunters of an injustice by by bowing to the drama. So trophy hunting is such a big thing. So rather than pushing it to the side and going, okay, well, let's just not talk about trophy hunting. Let's just talk about meat hunting. It's is it is it causing more problems or solving them? You know what I mean? Like I don't know the answer to it, but yeah. it's just an interesting conversation to have with hunters to say, well. Because in, in this day and age with the way that social media is and, and how um, vocal people get, I just see an influx of hunters um, going out and you can, you know, you can see that they're not, um, they're not going to eat that shitty old billy goat that's got 40-inch or, you know, 30-inch horns, but they're saying, oh, I've... I've taken this. I'm going to go and eat it. You know, like we've all eaten a billy goat, and we wouldn't do it again. So, <laughs> rather than sitting there and go, "Yeah, I shot this goat because I like the like the shape of its horns and it's a feral goat," it's justification. Exactly. Like I don't, I don't know why. It's it's so hard with you know the way today's going. I guess I gave up on, you know, years ago I thought, you know, maybe some of these people that were generally interested to hear a different perspective, maybe you might be able to change their mind. But I also thought to myself, you know, you're never going to be able to appease these antis anyway. And most people, they talk about that. They go, oh, I don't like that. And I go, yeah, but you're on Facebook. No one really cares. This is a social media. They, these people like that. You know, like uh, Ricky Gervais or whatever his name is, he's pretty yeah, vocal yep. anti-hunting, which you probably sit on the internet, and people are all over it, hundreds of thousands of people. But I'm like, how many of those hundreds of thousands of people actually do fuck all about it? None of them. None of them. They uh, just exactly. whinge on Facebook. They don't give any money to conservation. And, like, we know, and at least most of us do generally, that, you know, the, the African governments generally don't have a good track record of putting money back into to conservation. And hence, when we've seen game parks or, or when I say game park, like large game reserves were either shut down or, or discontinued in a certain type of African country, it's really severely uh, affected the economy. And most of them generally have opened back up, again, trophy hunting because, if you're not paying, you're not bringing people in and not bring, and they're not paying, who's going to pay? Who's going to pay to protect these animals? Nobody. So then they're opened up to poaching. Um, they start getting poached. The numbers start waning. 
And we, yeah. the, 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 there's the only price on the head of that animal is the one from the poacher that wants to sell its its its, its parts on the black market. So, it makes no sense to me at all. Oh, and that's right. And there's no there's no um, uh, you know policing, but at least if, if, if it's with game ranchers, they say like, okay, well they're not going to shoot. Yeah, you know, it's not open further on this. You can shoot X amount of these, X amount of them. Like it's managed. So the game ranchers that we were, they they would. They'll go, okay, well, there's too many of these here. So they'd ship them out to another area that didn't have enough. And they'd get they'd get stuff in that they didn't have a lot of. So it's all that 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 management of the herds. And and also when you have, you know, when you start looking into the the trophy, like the herd management in regards to say elk, and you can see when you see the statistics where hunters went into a, a specific area. And then the population went up and people were like, well, that's, that's just bullshit. Someone's fudging the numbers. And you sit there and go, well, it's not, that's not the case. The case is that the old, you know, when, you, when you're talking trophy hunting, someone goes in and shoots the big old one that is holding the herd and, and shooting blanks and not fucking not doing anything to actually, you know, impregnate the, the does. You shoot, you take him out and then it gives a chance for the younger up and come and more sterile box, sterile box to come in. When you start to explain it to them, they're like, "Oh fuck, I didn't see it like that." It's just yeah. it's ignorance, isn't it? Absolutely, mate. Just going to go to a quick break and be right back again. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% of the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit usaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. But I've seen people, especially on Instagram recently, getting back into the recurve. It seems to be having a bit of a bit of a resurgence. Maybe I'm probably totally wrong here, but that's what I'm seeing. People are really enjoying it and getting back into the old school recurve bow. What do you think the reason for that is? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think technology is... is it, Gone up, so it does get a lot easier. The, the the compound bows these days are so much more efficient, and um, yeah, efficient really. Efficient would be the word. So it makes it a, it does take a, a bit of the challenge out of it. And then when you go back to the um, recurve, it's just such a simplistic um, tool. And there's I don't know, there's like a um, there's a feeling like it's a like a I know, it's, oh, I can't explain it, man. Like, a, like a, a nostalgia, I guess you might say, maybe. Yeah, it's just it's just really like enjoyable. You can just go out there and um, shoot a couple of. It just the simplicity of it, man. Just is really, really thoroughly enjoying. So, what when you first started hunting? What was the first game animal you took, and what's your sort of favourites to hunt now, man? Um, my first animal I shot was a was a little billy goat. Uh, that was I was thirteen or fourteen at the time up in Queensland. Um, but yeah, my f- favourite animal to hunt now would uh, have to be it have to be pigs. There's just something about them that are you know they're just cranky little you know element of <laughs> of danger in them a little bit. And when you're not when you're up close and you shoot a pig with an arrow, it's um it's pretty. 
our heart pumping. Um, and then after that would be would be goats. I just love I love goats, and I think I think I love them because they're such a they're going to be a thing of the past soon, as far as I can you know I, as far as I can tell. Why is that? You Ten. think what you think they're getting collected up because they're pretty expensive now. I know a couple oh, of guys huge. that have um, gone up to certain uh, properties and they've been told, "Listen, that was the the cream of the crop when they you know drive twelve hours to basically you know shoot some goats, take some goats home, and you know you, sometimes they go on a weekend, you can shoot twenty or thirty, load up the freezer on the back of the trailer, and off we go." And now they've been told, "No, don't do that because they're worth too much." Yeah, exactly, exactly that. So. The live F, the live export market, and also not only that, the dogs over here, like places that I used to hunt twenty years ago, there's not a dog to be seen. Places I used to hunt five years ago, there's not a dog, a lot of goats to be seen. Sorry, because of the dogs, there's like a band, like in WA anyway, because it's all, um, it's just all saltbush sort of plains country. That that, that, that like a band. Um, coming down back towards sort of Perth, like around sort of bend that's um that used to be when I used to hunt out there twenty years ago. You look at you go, okay, well I can't go past that sort of that boundary because that's where the dogs are. Um, and now yeah. that's they've encroached, you know, they get closer and closer and closer to Perth. So um probably that I used to hunt on and they take off six thousand goats a year. They would um you know they got they got to a point where they take off 1,000 a year and the neighbours below them would take off, they used to take off, um, say, five and they'd take off nine in one year because the dogs pushed the goats that much um, that they've, like, naturally herded them up into areas where they've been mustered. So, so, so you mean, like, as in, I mean, uh, dog hunters or wild dogs, you mean? Yeah, wild dogs. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, yep. Yeah, so the dogs themselves, they're just... Um, um, yeah, flogging flogging the goats severely. So there's still you still get there's still goats around, but there's nothing like it used to be 20 years ago, or 10 years ago. Not not a not a you know, there's 10 percent of it. And yeah. then and then the trophy the trophy goats are um, you know, they're you know, 40 inch goat. They're such a hard you know thing to to shoot. So if you can, if I if I do get a property that's got some good goat numbers on it, I, I tend to try and, um, you know, stick at that, just stick to hunting those goats for a while until I've got all the good ones there because they're not going to be, you know, if I don't go and get them, the dogs, the, the, you know, the dogs come in and flog them and um, that's it. It's different over east because well, we've got, we got a property over east um, ourselves and that's got, it's all hilly, it's all hilly country, so the dogs don't seem to give the goats a flogging like they do over here. It just seems to be easier for them over here where they can round them up and they've got nowhere to go. And Whereas that, that hilly, hilly mountain country, that's goat. You know, goats seem to do really well in that and it's a lot easier over there than what it is here for the goats. So Yeah, it's interesting. I've never thought like uh, goats, uh, like dogs would be rounding up goats and killing them and you don't really see much. I mean, even though we've got wild dogs over here, you wonder how they eat and how they prey on on other animals, and I guess I've never really – I've heard them howling at night and that, and I thought, shit, this sounds a bit weird, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like, really like being here out here on my own. But um, <laughs> one thing I do want to talk about, actually, is, you know, when you've obviously hunted these animals, so 
I presume you hunted deer, pigs, and goats. How do they differentiate in regards to getting close to them? I've seen you know, a bunch of you know, YouTube videos where it appears pigs you know, got a fa- all these animals have got a fantastic nose, but I'd probably say pigs. Correct me if I'm wrong. Probably a bit of, their eyesight's not the best, so you can generally get a bit closer to them than say uh, you know your goat. Especially if you've I, I went on one place one time and the goats had obviously been shot at. Mate, as soon as they caught wind of you, or even not even, not exactly catch wind, but see you see your vehicle, mate, gone over the next three hills, and I'd be like trying to run over the next hill, pu- puffing my guts out, and then looking at them, basically seeing the ass end of them go over the next hill, and I'm like, ah, oh, forget about it. Where some animals that haven't been shot, you can get close to them, they sort of know you're there, but they. Don't don't really, but then deer, oh, mate, they're a different species altogether. Yeah, for sure. Every, everything is different, that's for sure. Some of them, like the pig, I think it comes down to how confident they are as well and uh, where they sit on the, you know, in the chain of, uh, what's it called, like the food chain, I suppose. Like pigs, um, pigs, they're a bit cocky. They, they're a lot more, they're a lot more cocky than a, um, a goat. Because they got that confidence. Like we've, I've had situations where you're stalking on a boar and the wind swirls around and the boar stands up and chomps his, chomps his tusk at you because they're that confident. Like he's a big old stinky boar and he's that confident in himself that he, he just thinks, "What the fuck is this?" And you know, stands <laughs> up. Whereas it's a goat, they're like, "Fucking see ya. And even deer, like deer, are hunted by. Um, tigers and lions and shit where they come from so they are fucking out of there as soon as they you know get a a, a slight whiff of anything so but um yeah and then you get other things where you can you know, buffalo buffalo you can call you make a cow noise a buffalo cow noise and the fucking bull walks into you <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, it's such a you know like but that comes down to um Knowing your animal um, with bow hunting, so that's that's the enjoyable thing that I like about it. Because you have to get so close, you really have to know. Uh, you you have to study and get some more knowledge on on it to get that little tiny edge. If that makes sense. Yeah, I've never been able to, and I've been on a lot of hunts where my friends have seen have had a shot at pigs, or they've actually you know shot them and got them um yet with me i just never seem to see them i've never shot a pig i mean it's just crazy how sometimes i find them the most elusive to hunt because you know as in dogs you know uh, people hunting with dogs and you know they'd be able to get a dog onto you they could i probably could have driven past about a, a hundred pigs in the in the amount of times so i've probably hunted that were right near the side of the road that i never saw but yeah because people have got dogs they've got you know obviously you've got the nose of the dog to be able to help track them and be able to get them that way so i've just never been chance where i've had mates come back from a hunt to lunch and they go man just like had two pigs at 350 and man just missed i'm like oh crazy you know but yeah i've never seen the little bass i don't think i've ever seen one alive in the wild no like as in a feral pig is in on a hunting trip so i think i've got to change oh, i've got to change that yeah i've got to change that yet yeah, my mates taking That's photos crazy. of them on a hunt and i'm like wait well, shit where did you see those man he's like oh just down here and i'll go, go man do you mind if i guess yeah i don't care go down there i want to hunt deer go down there mate see nothing for three days <laughs> so. fucking hell that's crazy i can just picture i don't know why but i can um, i can just picture you you would like you're not smoke you like you haven't got your a boombox on your shoulder walking through the scrub out of your yards. No. I found the the best thing I ever did, though, if I had to give someone one piece of advice what I did and where I felt I learnt the most, 
obviously different the bow hunting you got to probably cover ground mostly but you know it was just sitting and waiting man like getting there in a good spot you know four o'clock three thirty and till five thirty say five thirty sundown and just waiting and you and i've learned so much just sitting and waiting and watching i see foxes come past i've seen yeah depending on what part of the terrain you i've seen wild horses come past i've seen yeah. goats come past i've seen foxes and how they hunt in front of me for 20 minutes thinking well if i don't get a deer at about 5 30 i'm probably just going to end up shoot this fox you know um yeah you know, and it's just you learn so much from sitting away why are they coming out at this time look at the way they're hunting look at the terrain they're hunting why are they moving through here why are they eating this patch of grass where's the sun coming from you and if you walk past that area and you don't see anything you don't realize what happens in that couple of hours in that area yes or sometimes i sit there and mate i'm staring i end up staring at my phone and i don't even have any uh coverage i'm just staring at old photos in my phone (laughs) and then i've looked up and go oh shit there's a deer you know what's going on here better shoot that deer you know and then yeah or they're too far away or whatever or look up and i go oh there's five of them about 250 meters away oh where did they come from where'd they pop out at you know Yeah, Yeah. you you just learn so much sitting and and waiting and and looking at what passes your path over, say, a two-hour period. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, and but also, have you heard, like, if someone loses their – as someone loses their eyesight or something like that, they they reckon that your ear, your other senses heighten? Yeah, I've heard that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that – I actually think that's the same when you're you're bow hunting. I don't think you realise. You take – if you were to put your – you gun down because you, you're going okay. Well, if I've got my gun, I can shoot this up 300 meters. If you if you was just to take your bow out and you go okay, well, I've got to get into 30 meters now. You 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 change your behaviour and the way you're doing things. And your senses are heightened because you're like, well, I got to I got to see this thing before it sees me. I've got to hear this thing before it hears me. Yeah, hundred percent. So, it, and then you do that over you know, 10 years or 20 years or whatever, like two years, whatever it is, you do that over a period of time, your senses get higher and your eyesight's better. Like I've taken young kids out and they want to shoot their first rabbit and I'm, so I'll take them around like, oi, there's a rabbit right there. And they're like, where? <laughs> oh, dude, right there. And then you've pretty much got to like, I've got to put, push the little – push them onto the rabbit. And I'm like, dude, it's like two metres in front of you. See those two ears? And they're like, oh, <laughs> shit. And then, you know, like someone would say, how the fuck did you see that? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It just really stands out to me. They're just two ears sitting there. And the same with antlers or some way. You can pick up antlers in the in the brush because your, your senses are just looking on that, that next sort of level because you've fucking walked out there a hundred times and, and been complacent and, busted animals out and you're like oh that was a waste of a fucking day so next time you're going to go a little bit slower and take a better look or something like that so yeah yeah totally agree man we're just going to go to another quick break and we'll be right back even though they're back in business the closure of gun shops in three states during the coronavirus pandemic was an attack on every shooter's right to go shooting that's why the National Shooting Council has taken legal action so that it doesn't happen again. The NSC is also leading the fight to stop the reclassification of firearms and is providing important voting advice for every shooter in every state, territory and federal election coming up. That's why the NSC is the leading political organisation for shooters across Australia. So support its work by becoming a member today. For more information, go to nationalshooting.org.au. 
Mate, let's talk about a bit of gear. What's your what's sort of the go to? I mean, in the in the recurve business, I mean, just costs involved. If people sort of you know want to get involved and do a bit of bow hunting, where should they start? What's the sort of common mistakes they might make, or what should they look for? Um, yeah, well, if if anyone wants to get into bow hunting, the the, the best advice I could give them is to um, join a or go and go and speak to a reputable archery shop and um, join a club because. You know, like you taught in school not to cheat off people, but I think in this day and age, if you can <laughs> if you can go and learn other people's mistakes and they can tell you what not to do, you're um you're a lot you know a lot further in front of them, a lot further in front than where you where they would have been at that, that same stage. So uh, I would recommend that because you know, the amount of times I see people go and buy a bow and they got the wrong draw length or wrong poundage or they got the wrong bits and pieces it just it's hard to undo a bad habit so if someone wants to get into archery i definitely recommend going and speaking to a reputable shop and um and join a join a local archery club um and in regards to equipment man that's just whatever go and try a few different try everything and see what fits for you because i shoot it depends on and how I feel, I mainly the last few years I've been shooting compound, but I love picking up the longbow and shooting it and love picking up the recurve and shooting it. And, um, yeah, there's just – everyone's different, you know. So um, if you're going to – if you're going to get into it, just go and try as many different things as you can before you commit to it. You can go to archery clubs, archery shops, sorry, and they've got um, shooting ranges there, some of them. And they're quite happy for you to go and pick up, you know, like if you say you want to buy a bow, you don't know what I want to buy. They're quite happy for you to go and try different things. And then at the end of the day, you might go, well, you know what, the simplicity of a recurve just really, you know, it seems challenging for me. I want to give that a crack. Or or you might pick up a compound with sights and release aid and smash arrows, you know, dead center of a target at 20 meters and go, yeah, this is for me. So it all, it all depends. But, yeah, in regards to pricing, well, Man, the sky's the limit. Now you can get recurves. You can get the recurves these days that are friggin', you know, a few hundred bucks, and and they're effective. Um, or or a um, you know, right up to a few thousand dollars for a custom made bow. So yes. yeah, probably like shooting as well, eh? Like you know, name your price and get your wallet out and. Uh... You know, let's, oh, spend, let's spend some money. <laughs> and then you got all the all the accessories on it, you know, and it's exactly that, like, um, you know, name your price. Like, I, I've got rifles at home uh, and the kids shoot the kids shoot targets with them. They've shot a couple of little animals and bits and pieces, but it's the same thing. Like, you're going, I want a better sight. <laughs> Far out, there's another, you know, 1000 or 2000 or whatever you want to spend on it. I want another you know this or that you know like, holy shit man i just wanted the freaking gun so I was, and then i and then i laugh and think well if someone asked you uh, you know if someone comes to you and say i want to <laughs> i want to boast it up i'd go yeah well we just get the best of the best and buy once cry once yeah true <laughs> i hear that a lot so, too people say what do i get and i say listen if you're sort of half serious about it i mean go like i said try something out whether it's bows or shooting like if you can if you've got mates try something out but you know like on everything you know i've, I've had certain types of rifles or scopes thinking that was the right thing at the time and you know like a, a deer hunting cartridge was perfect but then i put a massive 
you know, telescope that I could see the moon on. And I'm hunting in, you know, places that I probably shoot maybe maybe 100 metres, maybe 40, maybe 80, maybe 120, and I'm putting a bloody telescope on top of it. So you live and learn when you sort of buy things. But, I mean, I always, uh, from speaking to other people, maybe you might agree, probably if you're starting with about, say, 2000 bucks, you've probably got a good a good base to get some pre- – obviously, if you're not including, say, a rangefinder, you know, you probably got – you know, a good bit of cash to buy something pretty decent with a few other accessories and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Like two two grand will get a will get someone into the sport hundred percent with all the bits and pieces. Um, and there's, you know, um, the other bit, the other range finders and um, other little bits of accessories and things like that. You don't really need. You can just do. You can get a basic um, a basic setup. But what I would say is, you're better off to get. Um, spend a little bit more, you know, spend as much as you can. Don't scrimp on it and go, okay, well, I'm just going to be if, – if, if, if you think you're going to get into it, you know, get the best you can, best you, best you possibly can. I see guys that can afford to get other things and they're still shooting a $100 bow and you're like – or different arrows and shit like that. You're like, man, you'd be so much more efficient and enjoy this so much more if you'd actually just commit properly and get some proper shit – <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. I tell, you know, but again, it's sometimes it's, you know, people, you know, families and that sort of thing. And I say, listen, you know, if you've got to save up for that extra couple of months, I would say save up for that extra couple of months because you inevitably, if you buy something out of, you know, because you want it now, hey, I'm like that. I'm the most impatient person there is. If I want it, I yeah. want it now. I just go buy it, right? But then sometimes I think, oh, if I'd just waited and, you know, got my bearings about me and made a good decision, now I'm paying probably double because I'm going to lose five. 500 bucks on this and I could have bought the next model up of what I actually wanted and better again but yeah I didn't buy once so I you know I cried twice <laughs> yeah but and, and but then you, you've also got the other thing how many times I've seen someone go you know hey Ben there's this $200 bow um what do you think of it and I'm like well I it's not it's not the right bow for you man it hasn't got the right draw length in on it so you need to get new modules and new cams uh, and then they don't listen and go and get it. And then all of a sudden they've gone, oh, those, I need to get new cans for this bow because they're too long or whatever, and they're 500 bucks. And I'm like, well, I did tell you. And when they could have gone and bought a, bought a brand new, you know, so that's 700 bucks now. They could have gone and bought a brand new bow of them for for $1,000. So it's, just, it's such a, um, you know, just do the research. And that's what I say to get someone, get the, go and talk to someone that knows what they're doing. If you talk to an archery shop and they get the bow to suit you, then you only have to buy it once. You don't need to buy, buy it twice like other people do. Yeah. One interesting question, which I'm not familiar with, you might be able to answer that question. Is there any sort of, what do you need? Do they need to be tuned? Do you need to take them in regularly? Because that's something you can learn yourself. Do you need to... I don't know, sorry if the, inform- the, the terminology is not correct, but, you know, restring them. What are you, is it easy to, to look after them yourself and maintain them yourself or do they always need a bit of that extra TLC sometimes every couple of years to take them in and make sure they're working properly? Man, I'm the worst person to talk to about that because I give my bows no love whatsoever. I don't. I would hate to sell a bow to someone because they don't get any TLC. That's for sure. There's a tip, guys. Just, if I, you see Ben Chambers on a, on a listing, avoid, avoid, avoid. Buy. I just give I give my bows away because they get flogged to you know to all high but yeah def- you, they definitely need to be tuned that there's it's it's a real technical thing the timing of the cams need to be right the like there's so much involved in it and yes you definitely can learn yourself 
if that's what you want to do. I don't. I have no interest in it whatsoever. I'd rather just say, hey, you know, make sure, can you set the timing on this bowl and put a new string on it and blah, 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 and away you go. But it's definitely – it is interesting if that's – if you're a technical sort of guy, if you're a technical sort of person that loves to get into that sort of stuff, it's it's crazy technical how you, know, you could go as technical as you want, arrow weight, um, kinetic energy. Like it's – there's so much science in it um, and setting up the bow – is you know setting up the bow, making the arrows to suit the bow, all that sort of stuff is is such a big, um, yeah. But otherwise, you can just go to an archery shop and say, "Hey, listen, what's the time? You know, is this all right?" <laughs> Which is yeah. what I do. I just pay someone else, and away how, you go. How often would you have to sort of get it looked at? I mean, depending on how much you're hunting, what does it sort of depend on? Um, depends on how you treat the bow, really. Um. If the bow's shooting right, if you get it shooting right, you just set it up once. It should be it should be sweet for quite some time, and you can hear like you, you're going to hear the bow. You know what that bow shoots like. So when it shoots, when it doesn't shoot the arrow where you where it's supposed to, well then you know something's up. Either and then you can check your form, and if you're if you're doing the same thing every time and you're and you're sweet, well then you know something's up with that bow. Even flying. Like when it's amazing how you fly from one place to another and you got humidity, um, temperature, altitude, that changes the that changes the um the bow. So when we went to Canada, um the bow shot differently from where we were in Australia to Canada. Both of both of mine and Jane's. So yeah, we had to like you know humidity changes this changes everything. So it's um yeah it's when when it needs it really is the answer. Because and you'll know that because you it's you're gonna know when your gun's not shooting right. You shoot and you put you know you know that you put ten and nine out of ten in the circle at two hundred and fifty, and now you're putting. Two out of ten, something's up. Hang on, the sight's out here. If something's wrong, you'll know. And then you can start to look and, yeah, you go from there. As far as um, regular maintenance, it's not it's not, it's not, not a case of, oh, every year you got to do this or, you know, like it's, you shoot it you shoot it, and treat it like I treat my bow. It needs a little bit more TLC than someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we're just going to go last. We'll go final break and we'll be right back. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers, Australia-wide, and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including eight years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original Ozguns. Mate, what about um, broadheads? There seems to be a lot of broadheads in the in the industry, some Australian ones that are being made. And, you know, was it, was it two, two edge or two blade or three blade? Two blade, three, yeah. All this yep. fan-dangled information that I've got no <laughs> idea about. What's the story so, with that? Is it all is it all legit? Is it is it does it make a difference between two and three and all these new yeah, designs does. coming out and what's better, what's not better, weight of broadheads, etc. 
Yeah, there's heaps of info, and that's and once again, man, that comes down to opinion and your personal preference. All I can say is that if someone shoots the same stuff day in, day out, and they get the confidence with that gear, well, then that's going to work a lot better than someone that is swapping and swipping and doing this and doing that, changing this, changing that, because they get the confidence. Shooting is. 90% confidence. So you get in and if you start to second guess yourself, well, then that's, you know, that's going to put so much pressure on the, on you and your buck fee will kick in and, and you, you've, you've fucking fluffed a shot. So all I say to the, all I, all I say to guys that ask those sorts of questions is just work out what's going to work for you and, um, and just stick with it, you know, like, so two bladers, two blade heads are, um, are a lot more efficient on bigger animals with bigger bones and um, like tough those tougher tough animals like bulls. I would never shoot a three blade or a four blade um, or a mechanical on a bull because the, um, they just bind up and those big fighting pads on them are just such a. Whereas a two blade, it it's got it hasn't. It's hard to explain. I don't know how to do this. Like a like a three blader sort of binds up in that um, on the fighting pad on the way in. Yeah. Whereas a two blade, it just got it's just got two cuts. It just puts a slit in there and fucking smashes through. Nine times out of ten, you pick the arrow up on the other side of the peak, ten meters behind it. And if yeah. it hits a bone, it smashes it. If it hits a shoulder blade, it smashes it. Whereas a three blade, it's got to put a bigger hole. We've got to push. It's got more to push through whereas but if you go and shoot if you're talking about shooting goats well shoot a three blade because it's got you haven't got that big fighting pad to go through yeah so once again it's just it's just learning doing a bit of research and working out what it is that you want to well, I, I personally me and my wife and three kids very very rarely Will we shoot anything other than a two blade? Because it's just more efficient. Like they can get more penetration um, with a with a two blade than what they can with a three blade. But then you got new. You got new. Um, there's a new Australian head out that's got little bleeders on it. So it's a two blade. You can take the bleeders out, but you can add little bleeders in it. So they got little tiny bleeders on the back end of them. So it turns it into like a you know, a four blader, and but it's still got that that two blade punching. So if it does hit a bone and punch through, it's still not going to break that or bind up in it. So um, certainly interesting, eh? Oh, it's 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 huge. There's so much information regarding that. So, but that um, yeah, it's just what's going to work for you. And then and the other thing is um, arrow weights. Like if you um, whatever you shoot with your target points. So if I shoot 125 grain target points, I'll shoot 125 grain heads. Or yeah, you know, or if I'm gonna shoot 150 grain heads for a say a buffalo hunt, I'll have um I'll have 150 grain target points. So that it's, it's, everything's the same. There's nothing. Nothing changes. So <laughs> nine out of ten times, it's all one twenty-five grand heads for me because I can just use one twenty-five grand field points, which is just standard field points, and I can unscrew them and screw a one twenty-five blade 
two blade brought in at one twenty five grain. Yeah. So. And so that'll, um, that'll be the same. What point of impact? So you don't have to sort of what retune at all. Is that the terminology? I think. Yeah, it's just the same arrow weight. So you still got to. Um, you still might have to tweak because the point of impact might be slightly different to, unless you can, you know, unless you specifically tune your bow that your field points and your broadheads has got the same point of impact, which you can do. So if I'm, you know, some people um, would tune their bows and they will never shoot a broadhead in their life, so they'll never shoot. They'll never. They won't adjust anything to to get their broadhead and arrow uh, uh, field points find the same whereas i'll i will do that i'll spend a little bit of time to get them flying the same and i'll always check before a hunt so if i'm if i'm going on a hunt i'll only shoot broadheads for the you know in my i've got two and a half acres so we've got a broadhead butt down the back so i'll just sit down for two weeks beforehand i'll only shoot broadheads into the broadhead butt and then I know that, you know, you got that confidence in that arrow when you go there. Nothing, you know, I'm more confident in taking that shot. Yeah. Whereas someone will ring up and go two weeks out from a hunt, they'll go, oh, Ben, I'm going to hunt pigs and someone said I should have a heavier arrow. And I'm like, dude, you're going hunting in two weeks' time. You're gonna If you go and change anything now, you're going to get up there and your confidence will be shit because you're like, oh, fuck, I haven't got the confidence in this because I'm – I was thinking of just you, you're shooting a two blade head tick. Um, your arrow's not like you've got a seventy pound bow. Just go and shoot them; you'll be fine. And then, yeah, yeah, not overthinking it, but uh, yeah, just I consistency, guess, man. Just consistency. I guess we can't underestimate like anything practice. You know, people tend to think they were like the same as shooting. They want to go out there and hunt, but. You know, again, you've got to get your gear in order. You've got to get the practice in. I mean, probably a bit easier, not easier for the to do bow hunting, but just, you know, to practice, you know, with, you know, maybe if you put up something in your backyard, you've got a bit of extra property or you put something up properly where you're not going to shoot the neighbours by accident with your bow and that, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, compared to shooting, trying to go to the range and get that experience can be a lot difficult. But, again, getting your gun sorted, getting your bow sorted, doing the practice, I mean, you know, is, is it okay? I, I'm not sure. Obviously, when you do your, your target, when you're practising, we say your target arrows, as you said, the 125 grain. Now, if you use your broadhead, say, for two weeks before you go out, I mean, is does that is is that okay as into you're not going to, you know, de-blunt the head of the arrow or anything like that or is it does it affect it at all or is it good to do that or is it good to use like target ammo and then it, or target broadheads and as soon as you go out then screw the other one on and off you go? Yeah, so you got uh, so I'll use I'll have like half a dozen broadheads that I'm using They'll be the same broadheads I'm using for hunting, and I'll just use them on the target butt, and they'll get a little bit blunt, and I'll just leave them as my target arrows. They're exactly the same weight, so they'll be 125, but they're they're a little bit blunt, you know, by going through the target so many times, or you know, might hit the dirt on what miss a few, miss a few, me shoot a few shots here and there, so they get a bit blunt. I'll just leave them as my target ones, and then um, the hunting ones. Uh, Oh, the, all, all the arrows I use, they can be resharpened, or the broadheads I use can be resharpened. So before every single hunt, um, my arrows are razor sharp, so you can usually tell when I'm going on a hunt or been on a hunt because all the hairs on my arm, on my left arm, are all gone, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. or the hairs on my left leg or left calf are all gone because I'll, I'll get them 
razor sharp, so they're shaving hair sharp, and then I'll you know I'll use them. So if I go and use them to practice with, I'll like every shot you got to re you know re sharpen that broadhead to make sure it's shaving sharp. I've seen a couple of those guys where I don't know just on Facebook occasionally some of those things where it always freaks me out because I'm like man that sharp head is right near my left hand there and I've seen a couple of photos where it must have I don't know if it's people being stupid or it's fallen off and gone and through their hand I'm like oh man that looks painful dude like that's that screwed you up that going through your hand (laughs) an arrow through someone's (laughs) hand I get I don't want my hand anywhere near where there's a sharp object I think back in the day when 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 compounds, because I remember Manai's Archery, Manai's a Bowhunters Club, um, wouldn't allow carbon arrows at their club when carbon arrows first come out because the way that they were made back then, if they did um, break, they splintered. And so if someone, if someone for whatever reason missed a target and um, hit a rock behind the target and they didn't realise that that arrow had cracked, and they go and shoot it again, the whole arrow can splinter. So back in the day, 25 years ago or something, when they were first you know, in the archery scene in Australia, a lot of clubs just said, you know what, no, no carbon arrows here, and um, that's just final. So that was, you know, that was a, a bit of a, a, a culture, you know, like a, a re – they had to – Get used to it, I suppose. Technology, it was such a hard thing to um, for the, get the old blokes around the fact that um, sights and release aids and carbon arrows and overdraws, because what you're, when you're talking about the broadhead going through people's um, arms and stuff, that, um, they also there was a stage where um, all the compounds had a, an overdraw. So that was like a, a rest that come back behind, the, behind your hand and so the arrow was shorter and you could land lighter so you could get more speed out of it. It's just all – this is – I'm talking 20 years ago. So – and there was instances where they had mishaps with that and the arrows come off the arrow rest and go through someone's hand. You look at that and then like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the broadhead being in front of my hand. I'll just – I'll bear with the, yeah, you know, it's... lack of <laughs> ten, exactly. ten, 10 feet per second. I'll just – I'll bear with that and I'll, I'll leave the overdraw yeah. off. I don't want a two, three, four, one head through my hand at all. I just want <laughs> – I want my hand as it's meant to be, not with an arrow through it. Uh, yeah, but I think that in this day and age, to be honest, it's been, a, it's been quite some time. Since I've seen something like that happen, because the technology in those carbon arrows is a lot. They're we, weaving the way that they're made. There's even there's carbon arrows now that just you, fucking you can't break them if you want to. Like I've five years ago, we were up the Cape and and we spent we spent a couple of nights trying to break these specific arrows that we took out there. We were shooting them into fucking bricks, axe heads. Um, 44-gallon drums, and you could not break them the way that they were made. So I'm pretty confident that, um, yeah, I'm pretty confident in this technology these days with arrows is fucking, it's crazy. Some of them are cool. Mate, to finish off, I guess a story. Share us a story with us, maybe a good hunt, maybe something that stands out in your mind as a, a bloody fantastic time. Cool. I'll, um, I'll, I'll tell you about my moose hunt in 2012. We went over there, um, there was three of us, um, my wife, myself, and one of my good mates, Ben, and we went over there and we spent 15 days over there and we had a moose and an elk tag each. 
uh, and Jane had a mule deer tag actually. Um, and it was day, I think day 14 and day 14 and I had not had a single opportunity on anything. Jane hadn't even seen anything and I was a bit down and out and I'd sort of come to the realisation that I'd, um, I'd, I'd been beaten, we'd been beaten and we're at camp. It was the last afternoon, the last hunt. And we're getting ready to go f- to, to head off and I'm walking out to put my backpack on the quad and this bird shits on my shoulder, this massive big bird shit on my shoulder. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Look at this. And Jane at the time says, Jane at the time says, it's good luck. Birds shitting on you is good luck. And I'm like, fuck yeah. So I remember just as a joke <laughs> being, being a dickhead, I, I wiped – I wiped the shit off my shoulder and I wiped it on my bag and then I'm, I'm, wiped, I'm like, if it's fucking good luck, I want it all over me. <laughs> just, <laughs> just being a dickhead, just, um, you know, I did not think it was anything true. I'm just trying to, you know, just being a dickhead, just joking around. Well, that day we went out and I ended up shooting a moose that afternoon. So two hours later I was sitting beside a – Alberta moose that I shot with a bow from 18 metres. It was a fuck, like 14 days of not, of hard slog, not seeing anything or not getting an opportunity on anything. See, I think we've seen two, two moose for the, for the two weeks and to having a bird shit on me. My wife saying it's good luck and I wife it all over myself and go out and shoot a moose. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so it's always funny when you don't sometimes you think man things is not going right or they go bad and then they turn good or uh, most of mine actually turn bad and stay bad they never, they never turn good actually so you know i th- i think the pressure like i was i was so I, it was actually that morning i was just sitting in bed saying hey, jane like we spent so much money on that hunt and you get all the way over there and to come to the realisation that you've been beaten and you're going to have to come back now because I'm not going to be fucking beaten forever. So they've beaten me this time. We're going to come. We're going to have to come back now. You get, you know, you, you've you've gone the highs and lows of hunting because you've you've just gone to the absolute low and gone. You know what? I've been beaten. Now. I'm going to, you know, I'll just come to the realisation that it, that's it. It's over. I've only got one more one more afternoon hunt and that's it. And that's not going to happen because we haven't seen anything. And then to you know, in a fucking split second, you've gone, fuck, that whole two weeks has been worth it now because I put the hard yards in every single fucking day for two weeks and walked our box off and then, you know, highs <laughs> and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. And then and then to, to leave on a high, man, that hunt was fucking amazing. Nice, man. So I guess if people want to... They want to check out your adventures on uh, social media. How do they go about checking you out or, you know, checking out your adventures on Instagram or you're on the Facebooks or where are you at? Um, I'm on – I've got an Instagram page. I've got an Instagram page and got a little Facebook page, but I don't um, – Facebook, I don't really add people that I don't know. I usually – just usually people I know just because of the kids' stuff on there and people, you know, my missus is – putting kids stuff on there so i stopped adding people on there but instagram's got all my little adventures on there oh so, yeah 
All right, mate, it's been uh, great to have you on the show, Ben, uh, chatting about, I guess, being in Western Australia, bow hunting and uh, sharing your knowledge. And uh, if anyone wants to check him out, you can uh, go on his Instagram page. I mean, Ben Chambers should come up, shouldn't be too hard to find. So, Ben, thanks for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate it and sharing your knowledge. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Chase. I appreciate being on it, man. I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.